Uh, was so, man, that was so awesome. Um, Anna, the, the, the psalm that Anna read out at the start was um, some the words on that one just really capture, I think, what, um, what I feel to share this morning. Just this, this, you know, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? And it says, you know, those with, um, with, a, with clean hands and a pure heart. But then it, then it all comes back, it all rolls back, revolves back to uh, God himself because, you know, try as hard as we might, we can't actually make our own hearts clean or our own hands clean. That comes back to Jesus. And there was, there's some amazing other things too, like... Um, uh, at breakfast time this morning, um, our daughter Elena, she's almost four, and she she says just out of the blue, "I f- I feel I feel joy." Hey, that's what she said. Hey, I feel I feel joy, and I go, "Where do you feel joy?" And she goes, "In here and in here." And I said, "Oh, where does the joy come from?" And she goes, "Jesus." I was like, "Isn't that cool?" And that song that we sang, I know it's super cheesy, isn't it? But it's one of our um, our daycare run songs, like to cheer her up on the way to daycare. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, and it's it's so funny that we sang it. Um, so even if that was just for me, I'm sure um, everyone else loved it too. Uh, here's another, also a word here. It says, um, "Do you like cheese in church?" To everyone, yeah. Say this is like a note that turned up on the on the lectern. I'm pretty sure that was from the youth group on Friday. Do you like cheese? <laughs> yeah, we like. I like cheese. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like cheese and cheeses. Um, <laughs> yeah, that goes out to Amber Jane. Um, this is yeah. This is my last chance, right? So I've got to get them all out before I go on holiday. <laughs> um, I'm just really, I'm just really um, freaked out about having another baby. <laughs> Please pray for us. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, can I just can I just pray again? Um, okay. Yeah, Lord, Lord, we're here for you. Lord, we want to hear your words. Your words, your words of life, your words of freedom, your words of truth. Your words are, are anchors, a firm foundation in, in the, sort of the shakiness of our lives, Lord. Your, your words um, have substance, they're not temporary. But when we, when, when we hear your words and when they're implanted in our hearts, Lord, we go away with something that lasts a lifetime rather than a, like a temporary high. So, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, may you um, may you rest in this place, and, and even may you prepare our hearts like uh, like soil. May you prepare us to receive your to, to receive the words of the King this morning. We welcome you. We honour you, just as we've been singing. In Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Um, all right, so. Have you got your Bible? I'm going to do a bit of Bible study. So um, open it up. We're going to go straight into John, John chapter 2. I don't have the words on the screen, so if you've got a Bible or if you've got your, um, uh, you, you got your phone app. Um, so John, John 2. We're going to be centered here in John chapter 2, and then we're going to radiate, fanning backwards and forwards. Um, further into history and also into the future. Like this is just a really amazing scripture that teaches us all about Jesus. It teaches us about what Jesus did. It teaches us about what Jesus is doing and it teaches us about what Jesus will do. Um, 
And, uh, and as I just praying, I, I really pray that he would speak to us this morning from these scriptures, like they're scriptures that were written down 2,000 years ago. Without this book, without this, the scriptures, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't know um, about life in Jesus. So here we go. It's chapter 2, John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the, when the uh, wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk freely, then they serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. Like you, you might have heard this story before, amazing, amazing story. But did you hear the very first words of that scripture, of the one I just read? On the third day, on the third day. And when we hear those words, on the third day, we usually often, again, like if you've been in church for a while, your mind jumps to something else. So what is it? What is it that you think of when you hear the words, on the third day? Resurrection day. That's what you think about. Jesus was resurrected on the third day. On the first day, he was murdered and buried in the tomb. And then on Sunday, he rose from the grave. And we're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. But first, John. The Apostle John wrote this beautiful book, one of my favorite, uh, favorite book in the Bible. And he, he carefully put these stories of Jesus together. And he's, and he's less concerned about chronology or about the, uh, so the order, the order of events. Less concerned, like a historian might be more concerned with chronology. But John is more concerned about, about um, telling us who Jesus is and what he was doing. And, and it's like a spiritual biography. I quite like that as a description. It's like a spiritual biography of Jesus. He emphasizes that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is fully God. So when we read these words, on the, fir- on the third day, I think John intends for us to take notice of that. And, and I think of it like a, like, a, like a dog catching a scent of something yummy. And you kind of like, you chase after it. And it's like connecting the dots. Like this, this story uh, somehow connects with the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. So on the third day here, we read, on the third day, there was a wedding. And... It doesn't even, we don't even find out whose wedding it is, which is quite funny because usually they're wedding the most important people at the wedding are the bride and the groom. We don't even find out who they are. We don't find out whose lives are being united, who is, you know, uh, to use that biblical phrase, becoming one flesh. Instead, we discover that whoever organized this massive feast didn't really do a great job of predicting how many people were going to drink. And so um, the bar tab. This is like the worst nightmare when you're planning a wedding. The bar tab had been hit too early. And people still wanted a party. They still want more drink, especially Jesus' mum. Um, 
That's what it says. She's, she's the one that notices. So she goes against Jesus. And like, if you've got Jesus at your party, then there's no, no need to stress, no need to panic, because Jesus is the one that spoke all things into existence. He, he just speaks the word. And, and Jesus spoke, uh, it says in Genesis, that um, you know, the word, he spoke the word, and, and, uh, and plants came into, into existence. So Jesus speaks the word, and he can have a grapevine. He can speak the word, and he can have um, a glass of wine. But instead, he does something a little bit different. He instead he takes water and and turns the water into wine. So this is again like really interesting. It's not just any water. Remember what it says. It says um, there were six there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. The, it's water. It's water for washing, ceremonial washing. It's not water for drinking. And he takes this water that's for purification, and he turns that into wine. He takes this, this washing water and he, and he transubstantiates it. He changes it into something else. He changes it into something delicious, like high-quality wine that the master of the feast goes, you brought out the best wine at the very end. And then when you read this, this was full of surprises, this passage, because who gets the credit for it? The master of the feast, he... he that's right, the bridegroom. The, the master of the feast, he tastes it. He doesn't know where it's come from because I think if he knew where it came come from, he wouldn't drink it. Right? You're not going to take, oh, there's some, there's some delicious washing water. Give me, give me a swig of that. No, he doesn't know where it came from. He drinks it. He goes, this is the best wine. And he goes to the bridegroom. You served out the best wine. Jesus, like he's, he does this amazing thing and he doesn't get the credit, which is what he does. He gives us the credit for the things that he does. So, so the, the bridegroom receives the praise, but it says that the disciples knew and it says that they believed in him. And it has this line, I know I've spoken about it recently, but I've um, got a poor memory. So, but it says that um, it was a manifestation of Jesus' glory. And I think, again, like, this is something really amazing when we might imagine God's glory. Like, what do you imagine when you think of the glory of God? I don't know, your mind might go to sort of images that you've seen of bright, shining uh, faces or, you know, whatever, things like that. But wine, wine, turning water into wine is a manifestation of Jesus' glory. It speaks of who he is. Isn't that cool? So that's that story. And so the biblical authors, they would often, like, link, link things together. They draw, you know, like it's, they're not standalone books. They link and they, uh, they connect to each other. And this is what John does. He, he takes, this, he takes his, uh, the stories, these accounts, and he links it to other parts of scriptures. And this is what this whole, the third day, on the third day. We, we, we've already mentioned how um, it links to the resurrection of Jesus, but there's more. There's more. And it's, it's amazing when you follow these threads uh, and I encourage you to do that when you notice things standing out to you, when you read the Bible, when you notice things standing out to you, like familiar, go, where have I heard that before? Then follow those things because you discover more about God, more dimensions to uh, God and his plans. So on the third day is one of those threads. Right back at the beginning of the Bible, we have the account of uh, the creation of, of the world. All things... We learn in the New Testament, all things were made through the word of God, that's Jesus. So when we think back to the beginning of Genesis, we go, this is Jesus uh, making things, calling things into beginning, into being. On the first day, he made light, and then he separated light from the darkness. That's like the first day, it says at the beginning of Genesis. On the second day, he makes, he makes the atmosphere, 
and like this, 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 this area that we have, kind of our, the air that we live in, the space we live in, and he separates the water from the land. So we have dry land, and you've got water, and we've got air, and everything like that. And it's a bit like these first and second days are, are, are creating a foundation, or um, you could, perhaps you could think of it like a, a canvas on, a, on an easel. It's ready, right? It's preparing it, ready for what comes next. And on the third day, he creates vegetation and plants and seeds and grapevines for making wine. This is what happens on the third day. The third day was the day, like I work, uh, my other job is in the School of Biological Sciences up at uni, up at Victoria University. The third day is about biologi- you know, biological life, plants, seeds, um, fruit. It's the day that this began. God had prepared the earth to receive vegetation on the third day of creation. Now, the, another mention of on the third day comes from this amazing, amazing story uh, in the book of Exodus. So if you want to jump ahead to that, it's in Exodus 19. Did I put a bookmark in there? Yes, I did, I did. It comes from Exodus chapter 19. Now, in Exodus, Exodus 19, Exodus is really the, you know, the, a, a book about the journey of uh, the Israelites towards the promised land. The people of God, the Israelites, they'd been rescued from slavery in Egypt, from bondage, and now they're on the way through the wilderness to the land that God had promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey, like the the land of all their hopes and dreams. It's a land of freedom, and it's a land of inheritance where they are going to be their their own masters rather than coming under the, um, the, the domination from other rulers. It's going to be their land. So far, though, God's interactions with with, uh, the Israelites had been through one person, through Moses. But now, in Exodus 19, God is going to meet with them all. So we read from Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. And may also believe in you forever. When Moses told the words of the words of the people, sorry, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, "Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wa- let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Kate, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 15. And he says to the people, Be ready for the third, be ready for the third day. The third day. God is going to meet with his people. And so he instructs them to, instructs them to be consecrated and to have clean clothes. <laughs> it's important when you meet God to have clean clothes. <laughs> Prepare yourselves to meet Yahweh, the creator God. Like the, the Israelites, they'd witnessed the, the power of God. Like they'd witnessed his, his power over, um, uh, over everything, over water, over wildlife, over the weather, the sky, even over humanity. Like it was frightening. It was freaky. When, when, when God uh, delivered them from slavery in Egypt, there's the, all these incredible acts of God. And like if you were in their shoes, you'd be, you'd be freaked out. And because God says, now I'm going to meet with you. 
Get ready. I'm going to meet with you. Consecrate yourselves. The, the consecrate is a, is a word that, that sort of carries the idea of being set apart. Being, being set apart for, uh, for God. Literally, it means associated with the sacred. Consecrate. Associated with the sacred. sacred. Uh, in, I guess, our, in our sort of Western uh, culture in New Zealand, we don't really have a good, a good sort of understanding, a good grasp of consecration, of something that's sacred. But think of tapu. Like, tapu, we, we understand that a wee bit better. We understand, like, if something is tapu, that's sacred. If something like the top of a mountain is tapu, then you don't go and stand on the top of the mountain. It's really interesting that, that tapu is actually the root word for the English word taboo. Taboo comes from tapu. And so we have, have this idea, like, set yourself apart. And Moses was instructed to make the Israelites consecrated. And then the people were instructed to wash their clothes and be ready for the third day to meet with the sacred. The Holy One himself was going to come down on the mountain. Don't even touch the mountain. That's how sacred it's going to be. So now we jump ahead a little bit to 16, verse 16. What happens? On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, because he's a very brave man. Because this sounds like you read it, you go, smoke, earthquake, massive noise. If you're at the foot of a mountain and you have these things going, you go, it's a volcano, it's erupting, run, run. But instead, Moses goes, let's go towards the mountain. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. It's incredible. You go, this is amazing, the, the power of God. They get to witness the power of God, the glory of God. And, and you kind of go, well, but is that, all, is that all that's actually going on here? Is it just a demonstration of God, or is there something more going on? There's more going on. <laughs> that's what I'm going to tell you. There's more going on. God is meeting with his people uh, to form a covenant with them, to bind himself to them in a unique, in a new way, in a promise-filled relationship. It's, it's kind of like a wedding. At a wedding, two people bind each other. To, uh, they bind themselves to each other. God has prepared them. He's delivered them from, from slavery, from uh, bondage in Egypt. He's taken them into the wilderness. He's prepared them, and now he meets with them, and he's forming a covenant with them. He's going to form a covenant with them. He's delivered them from physical bondage, from spiritual bondage, from political bondage. And he's going to make them into something new. And Moses calls, uh, sorry, God calls Moses to the top of the mountain and, Moses, and gives Mo, uh, Moses the instructions uh, for, what the, for this nation of former slaves. He provides the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm going to be your God. Don't murder each other, you know, don't steal from each other, that kind of thing. And, and a whole lot more like laws and, uh, and instructions for them so they know how to, how to operate as, an, as a society. He outlines what he expects of the people and he promises 
This is the thing. It's not just about telling them what to do, but there's, it's reciprocal. It's a covenant. It's like he's entering into this thing. He says, um, I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. I promise you this, this amazing land, and I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be your inheritance. The covenant is these two parties coming together. We've got God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they've got the people of Israel. And, and this, is, this is his promise. This is uh, sort of coming earlier in, the, in chapter 19. Uh, from verse 4 it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. This is like shorthand for saying, uh, you know, I destroyed them. You've seen what I've done. You've seen the power of my hand. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings, how I brought you to myself. He did it all. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, this, is a, this is an amazing promise. This is an incredible thing that he's calling them into. So the third day, we kind of get, you kind of get this feeling from these two, these two stories I've looked at. The third day is a day of new beginnings. It's a day there's been preparation that's happened. So the, the third day of creation, things have been prepared, and then on the third day you get the beginning of, of, of life, of vegetation, plants, seeds, and fruit, and then at the foot of Mount Sinai, it's a, new, it's a new beginning, the beginning of this new nation, a holy nation, a people who'd been prepared, and now, uh, now God was forming a unique relationship with them. But it's the beginning. <laughs> the third day's beginning. It's not the end. The third day's beginning. They then had to go on this massive long journey uh, to get to the promised land. That's why we've got this massive chunk of Bible called the Exodus. So then we go back to the wedding. <laughs> I know I'm just jumping around. Back to the wedding in John chapter 2, and he says, on the third day, and it's bringing together some of these threads. A wedding, like I said before, is the coming together of two people. They're joined in a covenantal relationship, just as God bound himself to the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. And then Jesus takes the washing water, remember the, the water that was intended for purification, and instead of using it for washing, he, he turns it into wine. The water is, is, was, was water for purification, and the wine is for feasting, for celebrating the union, for celebrating the new beginning. So I'm going to open up back to, back to John chapter 2. This is where having a Bible app on your phone is way easier, eh? just like... <laughs> Okay, John chapter 2. Because I want to, I want to press on, I want to stay in John chapter 2 because um, the next part of the chapter is, is really important for us. John does something really interesting and he goes straight from the wedding, from this amazing, amazing wedding with beautiful wine, and he goes straight for the, from the wedding into this moment where Jesus enters the temple in Jerusalem. This is really interesting because other, other gospel writers have the story of entering the temple later, far later in Jesus' ministry, actually in his final, final week before he heads to the cross. But John puts these two stories together to show us something. So now we're going to read, well, I'm going to read from John chapter 2, 13, if you're following along. It says, the Passover, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen. And he poured, he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, 
Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So what's the connection between the wedding and the, and the clearing out of the temple? What's the connection between turning water into wine and what Jesus did? This, this moment, this, this clearing out of the temple, it's a prophetic act. It's important to see that, that Jesus is sending a message. Uh, because, you know, he, he, he shoes all those guys out, the pigeons and everything that's going on, but they would have been there the next day. So it's a prophetic thing. He's sending this, this greater message. Jesus is prophetically purifying and preparing the temple. The temple was a place for people uh, to meet with God. It was a meeting place. And, and somehow, as we do, kind of we found, people found ways, uh, ways to make money out of it. Entrepreneurs, they kind of like went in the wrong direction and they, and they uh, bring in this other thing into the temple and making money out of it. So Jesus comes in and he and he, and he takes this thing that had been defiled, this place that had been defiled, and he purifies it. You know? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a sac- it was a sacred place that had been defiled. It had been defiled. Jesus purifies it. He says, do not make my father's house a house of trade. He's zealous. It says, zeal for your house will consume me. Uh, we live in a country called New, Ze- New Zealand. But I don't know if we really understand what zeal, zeal is about. He's zealous for his father's house. Like you look up other, other meanings, synonyms for the word zealous. It's passionate, fired up. Also devotion and love. He loves his father's house. He loves it because it's a place for people to meet with God. The people that he loves, the people that he came, that he came for. Now, uh, Jewish weddings were a bit different from ours. They had uh, a few of the same, few of the same elements. People would uh, get engaged, and then there'd be a, a wedding when they'd get married. <laughs> there'd be an engagement period. So there was like three stages. People, the couple would get engaged, there'd be the engagement period, and then they'd get married. So that's similar to us. But getting engaged involved... Agreeing a price to give to the father off the bride. And that's quite shocking, isn't it? Um, but this is what would happen. The father of the groom would uh, somehow have this meeting with the father of the bride, and they would agree, they'd agree a price, a payment for the bride. And they'd even have a written agreement, a, like a contract. And so they'd, they'd do this thing, they'd exchange money, they'd, uh, they'd sign on the dot, dotted form, you can have my daughter if you give me what I want in exchange. And then they're engaged, and there's an engagement period, a, a period of time. And, and there was two, sorry, there's, there's one main thing, one of the main things, there was two things that would happen. One, one would be that the, uh, that the bride would prepare herself for, for married life, kind of like pre-marriage counseling or something like that. And then the other thing was that the groom would go and prepare a place in his father's house for his bride. He'd go to his father's house. So then comes the wedding day. The bridegroom, he'd put on his very best clothes, um, his best shirt, uh, uh, I think something on his head. And then he would set out from his father's house to go to the house of the bride's parents. And he was accompanied by his friends, including musicians. And they'd like go along to the house of his bride's parents. 
singing and dancing, and, and they'd even carry torches if it was like a long way away and they had to travel through the night. And then at the, at the bride's parents' place, the groom would receive his bride. And hopefully they were blessed, they'd you know, receive them with the blessings. And then they'd all party back, party all the way back, have this massive parade all the way back to the father's house with songs and music and dancing. And at the father's house, there would be feasting and more celebrating, more and more wine, more feasting and celebrating, good times. And then at the night, the bride and the groom would you know, get a bit romantic. I'm like looking at scanning the ages of people around here, you know, that do what the bride and groom do on the night. They get married. And then the next day, the partying would continue. And for seven days after the wedding, they would continue partying. All this taking place in the father's house. So the father's house is a place where the bride and the groom come together, where they feast, where they enter into covenantal relationship with each other, where they, where they have sex, And they begin their new life together. It all happens in the Father's house. In in New Zealand, uh, typically weddings happen happen like this. You go to the place where you have your wedding at a church or, or somewhere else. And then you go somewhere else where you have your feasting and your reception and your celebration. And then you go to your hotel where the fun continues, (laughs) where your honeymoon, you know, begins. But back then it all happens in the Father's house. So when Jesus entered that temple in Jerusalem, remember this is coming straight after the wedding story. When he enters the temple in Jerusalem and he goes, this is my father's house. Prophetically, he cleanses it. His zeal consumed it, passionate, devoted, full of love. He purifies it because he's the groom preparing the house for his bride. That's it. He's preparing the house for his bride in his father's house. Later in John 14, Jesus says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing for us. The bride is the church. Remember, we've talked about this quite a lot. The bride is the people of God. Jesus is preparing a place for us in his father's house. And Jesus doesn't want anything to get in the way of his relationship with his people, just as I don't want anything to get in the way of my relationship with Tessa. You know? We've got to think about it like that. This is a loving relationship, an intimate, a deep relationship. And it's helping us to discover another dimension of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Because remember, the first thing that happened when a, when a couple got engaged was that the, the father of the groom would pay the father of the bride the payment, would, would pay the price that they'd agreed, agreed upon. This is what Jesus did. For God so loved the world. Chapter 3 of John, the chapter after what we're looking at. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus' death it becomes the, is a, is, is payment for us to liberate us from bondage of this broken world, just as the Israelites were liberated from bondage in Egypt. And it's amazing to think the value that God places on our lives is that high, that he would give his own son and that Jesus would willingly, willingly pay the price. So Jesus paid the price. Jesus consecrates us. Remember how Moses said to the people, consecrate yourself. Moses consecrated the people, and the people were instructed to purify themselves. Jesus consecrates us. He purifies us. When Jesus went to the cross, I've shifted it over this side just to mix it up a bit. (laughs) The cross is over there now. When Jesus went to the cross, 
and died. He took upon himself our sins, our crimes against God and against other people. And through his death, when we take hold of him, when we hold to his cross, he consecrates us, he purifies us, he makes us clean. He, he then becomes the water for purification, like in the wedding, the water for purification. Hebrews 1 says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He made the purification for our sins. And then on the third day is the day that we're going to be celebrating in three weeks' time. Jesus rose from the grave. He revealed himself as God in the flesh, the God who defeated death. Romans, I mean, sorry, Hebrews 1.3 also says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when the resurrected Jesus met with his disciples, when he met with people on the third day, it's like, it's like the third day at the foot of Mount Sinai when, when God descended on the mountain and there's all the smoke and there's lightning and, the, and there's ground is shaking and there's this, the sound of trumpets going up and up and up. This is Jesus. Like it's Jesus that descended on Mount Sinai and it's Jesus, resurrected Jesus, that's meeting with people on the third day. Amazing. It's the day of new beginnings. The third day is of new beginnings. It's a new covenantal relationship that Jesus, that Jesus himself has set up. It's the beginning of a journey. Like it's not the end. It's the beginning of a journey towards a new land. Jesus himself is like the water for purification, becoming wine for feasting and for celebration. So in this time, like I said, that this speaks of what's going on at the moment. In this time, the bride, the people of God, the people who cling to the cross of Jesus, we're being prepared for the day of the wedding, to, to the unmatchable wedding that we've been talking about the last month, I think. Meanwhile, Jesus, he's also busy. He's at the right hand of God. He's ruling and reigning. He's the king of his kingdom. His kingdom is advancing, and he's preparing a place for us in his father's house. There's a feast coming, and it's like we're waiting for that day of the wedding feast to celebrate. And so it's not a day for waiting, for just waiting around. It's not a day for doing nothing. It's not a season for doing nothing. But it's a season, for, it's a day, it's a time, it's a moment for consecration and preparation, like preparing ourselves uh, to meet with the living God. Consecration is association with the sacred, and only God can make us sacred. We've got to associate ourselves with Jesus and his cross. And it's amazing because it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you uh, are only just coming to faith in Jesus, only just believing in him and believing in the cross. And it doesn't matter if you, you've been, like me, I came to faith in Jesus when I was a child. I remember praying the, praying the prayer, the prayer. There's only one, so don't get the words wrong. No, praying a prayer um, when I was about seven years old. I've been, so I've been following Jesus for a long time. But when we come to the cross of Jesus, we're all on the same page. We all have the same beginning. And we've got to keep coming back to that. We've got to associate ourselves with him, what he's done. He's the one that prepares us. He purifies us. He consecrates us. And we enter into that. We become set apart, consecrated for him at the foot of the cross. Preparation involves purification. involves being made ready for the coming together of the Holy Son of God with the bride. And it all comes from Jesus. It comes, we participate by listening to him. 
by, uh, by like, like reading, reading the scriptures, the word of God, the actual words that Jesus, that Jesus said, studying this, following the threads, picking up the sense, following the threads, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Jesus purifies us. Jesus said in John 15, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He speaks his word to us and makes us clean. Jesus is purifying us. In Ephesians 5, it says 5.26 is a passage we keep coming back to at the moment. Husbands, love your wives as Christ, has lo- Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, without spot, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Can you even imagine that? That we... There's a day that we are going to be made that, that holy, holy without help, blemish. Purification also involves us obeying him and participating in his work in our lives and in the work, his work that he's doing in our world. Amazing to think of it that way. James, not me, the other one. And in chapter 127, he goes, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So there's like these two elements, eh? Hey? Like our, our participation in, in what God is doing, his kingdom advancing in our world, participating with him in that, showing his love, but then also our own responsibility to keep oneself unstained from the world. This, this, whole, this whole thing, this whole message, uh, it really took me by surprise. I'd planned to speak about something different, and then I really felt Lord wanted me to just sit on, on John chapter 2. And so I don't know what it is that the, kind of the Lord wants us to capture from this this morning. But there's these two things that really stand out to me, and it's the two words of water and spirit. Water and spirit. Because... We've been talking about what happened on the third day, and Jesus took water and he turned it into wine. So what happened on the day before that or the day before that? What happened on the first day? The first day was the day that Jesus came to the river and he met John the Baptist. John the Baptist then baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes under the water and he comes out, and John says, He on whom you see the Spirit descend... And remain, remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of the water, Jesus being the water and sending the Spirit, the wine. The water and the wine. These two things coming together. There's this also this other sense that I want to uh, emphasize. And, and we, we sang about it this morning. And it's preparing a way, preparing the way for the Lord. This is what John the Baptist was all about. He was preparing the way for the Lord. This is the psalm that you read out at the beginning, isn't it, Anna? Prepare the way for the Lord. I'm sure it was in there somewhere. Anyway, but I feel like this is like something that the Lord is, is wanting to speak into us today. It's like to go um, in this season of uh, consecration, of purification, and even like preparing ourselves, like seeing uh, what is going on in our own lives and how can we prepare ourselves to receive to receive the Lord. Yesterday, uh, Tessa and I and Elena, uh, we got stuck in this incredible traffic jam. It was <laughs> the most amazing traffic jam. And it, and it took us an hour to drive from our place to the intersection at Nauranga, which is normally like a 10-minute drive. And, and it was all because of this blockage that, was, that happened on State Highway 2. Two cars had uh, hit each other. I hope that no one was injured. 
but it causes massive, massive, massive blockage. And I feel like the Lord is kind of wanting to reveal to us, uh, not through what I'm saying, but what he's going to uh, reveal to you, uh, sort of what's going on in your own lives. How can, uh, what, what are kind of the blockages? What are the things that are getting in the way? You know, make way, make, uh, make straight the way of the Lord. How do we do that? So let's invite the Lord to speak into us. Do you, want to, do you want to stand with me? Lord, would you come now? Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you uh, open up our minds? Would you open up our hearts to receive you today, to hear your words, Lord? Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I've been praying on my own, but yet you would breathe on, on the words uh, that, I've, that I've spoken, that you'd breathe on the scriptures that I've spoken. So would you come, Lord? Come, Holy Spirit. We open up ourselves to you, God, for the King of Heaven to rule and reign in our own hearts, our own minds, that we might be a, a people set apart, that we might be a kingdom of priests in our world, Lord. Come, God. Come, Lord. Come, Father that you would even have baptize us afresh in your Holy Spirit. Lord, you're leading us into, into freedom, actually. You're leading us into, um, into freedom. You're preparing us, which means liberating us from bondage, liberating us from fear, liberating us from oppression. Lord, whatever those things are in our, in our lives, fear of other people, fear of sickness, fear of not having enough, Fear of what might happen tomorrow, the next day. Fear of what might happen this week. You're setting us free, God. You're preparing us, Lord. Come, God. Come, Lord Jesus. I, I, I just get the sense that, like the Lord, uh, uh, wants to wants to bless His people and and to and to bring freedom from anxiety this morning. So if that's you, then you might just want to uh, like reach out to him and go, set me free, Lord Jesus. Break these chains off my back. There is freedom. There is hope. The third day is a day of new beginnings. It's a day of hope. That death doesn't have the last laugh. Doesn't have the final say. Come, Lord. Break that off, Lord. Speak to, speak to anxiety that you'd break it off us, Father. Break it off, Lord Jesus, in your name. Break it off our backs. Set us free, Father. Come, Lord Jesus. Calm our anxious thoughts, God. Oh, Lord. You're the Prince of Peace. Teach us what this means. <laughs>